0: Y'all ready for this? We'll do the first book of New Christianity, which is like five chapters, five chapters. So this is a uh, radio Radio broadcast turned into a book taken from what was happening in World War II, so that gets us kind of a clue as to what's going on. And why he says the things he says. So we will get a, uh, an opportunity to take a look at this. So you've read the the uh, chapters. You know something about what's unfolding here. Uh, the law of human nature is where he's starting. So we will we will start there too. Chapter one, and um, try to figure out. Oh, so what what is this? What what is the uh, law of nature so anybody remember what that is law of nature Built in, and they know it exists. Yeah, laws of right and wrong that people already know are familiar with, and they are uh, fighting for them all the time. The uh, law of nature. So, if you've ever had kids in the back seat of your car and you're traveling, and they go, He's my space, he touched me, he's breathing and th- that's not fair comes up and then we carry that on into adulthood with pretty much everything that goes on well that's not fair how come that car cut me off on the freeway how come uh, that guy got promoted and I didn't uh, all the things that's not fair and there there's no written rules for that there's no written rules for the back seat except that when they get loud enough then there are rules <laughs> y'all think that was bad? <laughs> Come on out here. Anyway, so the not yeah, that's not fair. It's built in. So yeah, Mike gets innate, it's part of who we are. And he is trying to give us a clue as to uh there's something more. There's something out there. There's something in us. There's something beyond us and we need to explore what that what that could be. So he's going to dig into that, and take us in that direction. And uh, it's it, it's so built in that it is um, a response. When he gets to chapter two, he starts well between chapter one. He did chapter one as a radio broadcast. Then it's a week later. He the BBC gets mail, so chapter two is actually a response to the people going. What are you thinking? So. In answer to that, he begins to respond to why he was saying it wasn't even planned. it just he stuck it in there and to answer them and and that chapter you pick up well it even the the Nazis understand something about this, and this is nineteen forty one They haven't even gotten to uh finding the number of people in concentration camps. This is early in the war. They're, I mean, they know the Nazis are bad enough. They don't know that part yet because they haven't haven't discovered all that depth of depravity. But he knows that, th- that there's a sense in which the people who are being attacked are going, there's something wrong with this. Uh, so if you've seen, read things about World War II or seen movies about World War II, you get a sense of of w- what's going on and of course we're we're the victors and we're America so you know the Nazis are always going to be the bad people so we always keep you know keep them uh, over there but there's a sense of okay so that was that was deeply wrong and where do we get that where where does that wrong come from we didn't have the international court we had the Le- league of nations after world war 1 but we didn't have a court that determined here here are the laws that you must follow it just you ought not people just in their own heads going you ought not treat people like that so that's the law of nature built into people and uh it reacts did, did anything in that in that chapter kind of grab you he's he's um saying it's all over the earth it's everybody uh, you do have that you know once in a while, a small percentage of sociopaths psychopaths who don't sense that that 's that would be the outliers, but the typical person is going to have some sense of uh fairness and and so the law of nature is dealing with the right and wrong so anything stand out there to to you from that? yeah sociopath yeah. yeah so it is a draw to have that it motivates you to, if, if you're feeling it if you're not a psychopath if otherwise you just go yeah, I don't feel nothing is do what I want. Yeah, it does. It does make us feel good to go. Wait, I'm, I'm keeping that. I'm in. I'm in line with that. Law of nature. Um, we do break it, and and the ought to is something that s- s- seems to come through from what Lewis is talking about. The ought is the part we don't perfectly keep this. So even though we know what's not fair, we know better when it's not fair toward us. We don't know sometimes what's not fair when we're dealing with other people because we kind of just go on. Yeah, we're more concerned about how we feel and how we've been felt, uh, dealt with. But he is uh, trying to reach out, trying to, trying to show us that there's more to this. So the odd part of that is an aspect Of this whole thing. Or I guess, it depends on if you're into buckshot, but the uh, ought is the, uh, I'm I'm feeling it, And, and this is how you ought to treat somebody. And so that's when we come up with the fairness thing. You ought not do that. And so we have unwritten rules. On how people ought to eat, how they—I mean—you just start moving into the realm. How they ought to drive. You can drive through Tulsa if you've been out in the country. You drive through Tulsa and go that—you know—they ought to drive better than that. And then you drive down to Dallas and you go, they really ought to drive better than that. And you just kind of go through. It's all of this. It's all built in. There's no there's no big sign out there telling you this is how you're going to do it. Now some traffic rules, but. The ought-tos are our motivation at a different level, and he's headed a particular place with all of this. Do you remember what that is? Why this matters? got to find this is a basis for finding why Christianity is credible yeah so we're looking for answers to Christianity and this points to the law of nature points to that there is a divine person who is above and beyond who is working this system who has planted that in us and that randomness in the universe does not produce a sense of law of nature, what's right and wrong, what's fair randomness just leads to additional chaos it is unfeeling, it is disconnected from anything that would be uh, would lead to ought-tos. The ought is is a reminder to us every day and to every person that there's something more, these things that exist that are far beyond, above uh, what we typically work and do or, or think about in our day-to-day existence. So there are, i want to put, put this out there before you there are other this is philosophy in the Christian faith Uh, this gives a breakdown from medieval thought medieval philosophy through uh, pretty much 20th century but just hear the contents these are different arguments different ways of thinking different philosophies that have been presented. So you can see there's some. There's some. There's some more. And those are just since the medieval period and more. So these are people wrestling with the idea, is there a God? If there is a God, how do we know that there's a God? What evidence do we have that there is a God out there, and then the various ways of understanding how do we how do we approach uh morality, how do we approach um, who God is and who we are as human beings if if there's a God, then that affects who we are as human beings and this is a uh, two approaches to truth how do we get to truth it's it just it puts all those pieces together. What he's done is narrowed in on the moral argument. So that is one of these. That's one argument out of (laughs) all of those. And he says this one is um, so built in. And he's talking to the general public within the United Kingdom. So he's addressing the wide array of people who by 1941 have pulled away from traditional thinking uh traditional christian thinking and and you know even for us you would think oh man in the 40s they were still just really connected to god and not so much that's why he's addressing this coming from this particular perspective the law of nature so we've got uh let's see his two points this is on page 8 and this particular book but he's trying to bring this thing down uh, page eight uh, it says the point is that there are one more proof of how deeply whether we like it or not we believe in the law of nature if we do not believe in decent behavior why should we be so anxious to make excuses for not having behaved decently Truth is, we believe in decency so much, we feel the rule of law pressing on us that we cannot bear to face the fact that we are breaking it. And consequently, we try to shift the responsibility. For you notice that is only for our bad behavior that we find all these explanations. It is only our bad temper that we put down to being tired or worried or hungry. We put our good temper down to ourselves. We're just cute. So, two points I wanted to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Secondly, that they do not, in fact, behave in that way. Bummer. They know the law of nature. They break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe we live in. So he narrows it down. We're okay, we're going we're gonna to deal with this law of nature. That's where we're going to go with this so that we can begin to understand who we are, how we function in the world, how the rest of the people on this planet function, what they, how they think, what they value. And then we're going to point this in the direction of that there is a God and that he sent his son. And to make sense of all of that, which is not in the first five chapters, we're just laying the foundation. This is, there's an ought to. That's running around behind us, that is um, keeping us going. Um, In chapter two, with the objections, these are the letters that he got that uh, responded to the first, well, the first chapter that we have, the first radio broadcast. And his, uh, on page nine, isn't what you call the moral law simply our herd instinct? And hasn't it been developed just like our other instincts? So we just came up with this, or we were taught it, or we, it came along somewhere, and his thing, no, nope, no, nope. uh, there is a herd instinct, and there are things that we developed, and he goes into that, like our connections uh, to love, instincts for other motivations, drives that we have. Uh but it's quite different from feeling that you ought to help whether you want to or not. The instincts will just take you to where you want to go because that's what you're feeling you want to do. But ought to goes far beyond it because it wants to take us to help, to to provide assistance, to get somebody out of the cold, to feed them when they're hungry, and it it's pushes us beyond what we would typically do herd instinct would say I'm going to protect myself I'm going to make sure that nothing happens to me but ought to says I need to take care of that other person there, that there's something important in the family other people people in community people in society and I ought to be part of that so that that's one of his uh, dealing with the objections and um, it is uh it's pretty cool. Whoa, let's see this one. This one's good. How he explains that. You probably want to be safe much more than you want to help the man who is drowning. But the ought to part says you ought to help the guy who's drowning. So you overcome the instinct, the herd instinct, the natural instinct, and you go with the ought to. or. You ought to overcome and <laughs> go jump in the water and go help that guy. And that some of his illustrations are just great as you go through this thing. Uh, he touches on uh, this is over in 11. I don't, I don't know how your pages are s- tracking with this, but strictly speaking, there are no such things as good and bad impulses. There are impulses. Think once again of a piano. It has uh, two kinds of notes on it the right notes and the wrong notes. <laughs> okay. Every single note is right at one time, wrong at another. Isn't that just awesome? The moral law is not any one instinct or set of instincts, it is something which makes a kind of tune, the tune we call goodness or right conduct, by directing the instincts. You think about the guys who come back this you know this is world war ii they had they've already had world war one and they had to absorb those guys into society and then we're down the road a peace. so we've had world war ii in korea and vietnam and the gulf war and or wars and you go okay so those guys they are 18 19 20 years old they're given a weapon they're told to go out there and kill people is that a good thing to just go out there and kill people? Well, you ought not kill people. But there's a time. So is it always bad? No. It's really good if you're protecting, if you're protecting your home, if you're protecting your... It, this, you put all of that in. It's a different note that ought to be played at a particular time. So they get back, and they're wired... And then you have to kind of talk them down and process them, get them through, get them on the other side. One of my jobs at Oklahoma State, when I was working for the uh, Veterans Administration, of Veteran Affairs there, the, um, I had counseling. My job was to, to help these guys who are coming in uh, change from military thinking to being in college. And they are Vietnam, I'm, I'm that old. These, are, these guys are coming back from some shift somewhere from Vietnam. And so we'd go get, co- I had two offices on campus. They didn't really like sitting in an office. So we'd just go get coffee somewhere and we'd get talking. And then we'd start dealing with those things. And we're dealing with how do you unwire yourself because you ought not run around, don't kill the professor, that guy that ticks you off in class. <laughs> just You ought not. You, you ought not punch that guy. And, well, it, we're in the, uh, the cafeteria, and a, this is a different scenario. But this particular guy had a short temper and uh, multiple black belts and things, martial artist-ish. And he just... Some guy ticked him off. And he went off on him. You go, oh, okay. Well, that guy's bleeding all over the place. So. And then this guy is mad, but he's also embarrassed because he just responded so quick. So he takes off. I go after him, dude. You ought not do that. You ought not be busting up on people. <laughs> what is going on? And and he had actually felt it inside too that 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 was a wrong response. But, you know, the training is such, and the same thing for these military guys, the training is such that the immediate response is that's what you do in this situation. Wrong key, wrong tune, wrong place, wrong time. Is there a right place for it? Absolutely. In fact, if you don't do it in those situations, I mean, you ought to do it in those situations. So this whole moral thing, uh, law... And how it works for us there's there 's a bigger picture, and that whole piano key thing is really good. there are right notes and wrong notes, and every single note is right at one time, wrong at another and we need to know that too how how that works, but he 's answered questions those those are questions that people wrote in uh, to the BBC going what what are you saying, buddy so uh, Page 13, progress means not just changing, but changing for the better. If no set of moral ideas were truer or better than any other, there would be no sense in preferring civilized morality to savage morality or Christian morality to Nazi morality. Yeah, well, we know there's a big difference there. So he he deals with a number of those. Um, the reality of the law. That's back in three. And if if you're reading the first part of chapter three, he you can tell that the chapter two was inserted. I don't know if that helps you with the flow of this thing, but you can tell he's, he says now I go back to what I said at the end of the first chapter. So he's giving you a clue. That other thing I just had to deal with because you know a lot of questions in between, and. Um, Listen, two, two odd things about the human race. First, that they were haunted by the idea of a sort of behavior they ought to practice, what you might call fair play or decency or morality or the law of nature. Second, they didn't do it. Oh, yeah. And you wonder, you know, what, what, in, what in the world? What, what's wrong with this? How would we know? that we didn't do it why is it that in humans there's built in this thing of guilt and shame and you go I ought to have followed through even people who have no Christian training at all this is just worldwide I ought to have done whatever or ought not to have done something else and then they, they sense it they sense it in themselves and they don't even have to be told it's just it's just there now the training on ought to's in a civilized pattern we need training we need you know how the silverware lays out when to eat what you know those kind of steps to things in just life that we need to learn but this other the ought to's that's a built-in kind of thing and he is telling us that there is more to this it's um and it's not the law in this chapter, is the one where he deals with it's not the law, like the law of nature, that is gravity. So the rock has no choice. It doesn't feel like I ought to fall. It just falls. So we don't behave that way when we're treating the world around us, the people around us. We ought to do certain things. We sense that. We're not like a law, the gravi- law of gravity that just you just do it. Wouldn't it be nice if we just did that? You ought to love each other. We just we just do that. No, we don't. So that's the problem. It's not just built in to follow through on that all the time. We ought to. Yeah. You have a choice. You can do it yeah it's still it 's still there, whether we believe it or not,, <laughs> but, but we can choose to do it or not, yeah, yeah. the rock has no choice, yeah that 's right, yeah, rock is stuck, well, so are we if we jump out of an airplane, same same thing, yep, it kind of kind of hits that on twenty, just like Mikes saying, the moral law or the law of human nature is not simply a fact about human behavior in the same way as the law of gravitation is. Or maybe, simply a fact about how heavy objects behave, on the other hand, is not mere fancy, for we cannot get rid of the idea. And most of the things we say and think about, men would be reduced to nonsense if we did. It's not simply a statement about how we should behave towards others for our own convenience, for the behavior we call bad or unfair is not exactly the same as the behavior we find inconvenient. And we may find it the opposite. Consequently, this rule of right and wrong Or the law of human nature must somehow or other be a real thing, a thing that is really there, not made up by ourselves, which is his point in chapter 3. We didn't make it up. It's there. We all have it. It's worldwide, and uh, it affects us in our interactions with others and what we conceive about the world we live in and who God is because he's moving in that direction. So we get a little... Tidbit of that along the way. Did anything in chapter three grab you? No, 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 no grabbing. Okay. There's a uh, a more in in. Tentional movement towards there's there's more to this there's more to the ought to more to what's built into human beings and he begins to pick that up in chapter four with what lies behind the law so down for page twenty one. Uh, The law of human nature or right and wrong must be something above and beyond the actual facts of human behavior. In this case, besides the actual facts, you have something else. A real law which we did not invent and which we know we ought to obey. You go, how is this possible? It's universal. It's really there. We all sense it. We know there's an ought to. And little kids pick up that's not fair. As soon as they can make words. And you go, in any language. I don't know what the other languages say for fear, but there there you go. They know it. Okay, we didn't teach them that. They don't watch that on Sesame Street. Where'd they get this? And it just is there. And then you turn them loose and PK, and you watch and see what they do in there with their buddies. That's not fair. He took my block. And, And they go at it. Um, so we have this real thing that exists, it's universal, it's working uh, in all of us, and it's pointing us to something beyond just the material random existence of life on this planet. Part of what he has to, what Lewis has to deal with is the materialist uh, perspective. By this time, mid-century, mid-20th century, people have really embraced, and this is in the educational system, uh, books, movies, things that are just out there, what they're consuming is materialism. It continues, it's still here today, and it limits everything. And so he has to take them to a place, take them beyond their normal thinking, Yay, I get to write something. They have to get beyond certain... uh, I'm going to put it down here. So what has taken place... Existence uh, of everything gets narrowed down to what are the formulas for it, what, what's the math on this, what's the science and it's science from a particular bent it's not just, good science wouldn't leave you here but just limited science would limited science has a box so length height it's got the dimensions, 3-D. You can add some quantum physics. You can add some cool stuff to it, but it's still limited. That's as far as it's going to go. And because of some things that happened in the approach to science in the late 1800s, it leads into the thinking and, and left some, some people really uh, depressed, they they started screaming, and and um, reaching out, trying to find some reason for human beings to be here. This became reality, and when they bought that reality, they go, "This is this just is awful." And if you look at the art that changes from realism, reflecting life, that has things like uh, artists came up with ways to reflect to take uh, a oil painting and and have it glow with the light being reflected off something refracted through something uh, Rembrandt was brilliant at being able to do that he can have a dark a group of people in a dark place and you can see them lighted up slightly as they're coming out of the dark and then all of a sudden this central figure is just brilliantly lit and go how did how can you do some paint And make it do that. They also mixed their own paint. That's part, and we don't know the formula, but he was able to do that and it would just bring it out. The Dutch painters did the same thing. So you look at their, like a painting, or yeah, a painting of, of still life stuff of fruit in a jug by a window. And you go, you know, so what? For us, it's no big deal. Back then, they were changing from really 2D flat art to this, so it was amazing. But the light just is brilliant. It's coming out of there. It's alive. You get to the end of the 1800s, 1900s. Do you remember the pictures? Anybody go through a blue period? Anybody start drawing women like, there you go. There's Sophia. Why? What happened? What was affecting the period, that period of time so greatly that across the board, there's this whole artistic shift from doing this amazing thing. I'm looking at beauty. I'm looking at what God created to, there she is, my beautiful bride. <laughs> Dude, you may want to check your glasses. But they were stuck here. This is it. Well, is there anything beyond that? Is there true beauty? Is there such a thing as soul? Is there, no, you're just alive or dead. You die, you go in the graveyard, done. There is nothing beyond this box. Materialism. The science, the math, we got it figured out. We know how far the sun is. We know about electricity. We can, we can call each other on a phone. The tel- telegraph was fun, but we can do this. We're traveling faster than 12 miles an hour, which they thought would blow you up on a train. So, So now we know. We've got the answers to all things, and materialism took off. Then depression hit. Then if you've heard of existential philosophy began in that period because people are going, I need to know that I exist, that I have a reason. And they start truly screaming. So this is a scream. The philosophy comes out as a scream. And I'm telling you all that because what Lewis is trying to answer is, here's a whole world of people who need something more than this. And guess what? It's already built in us. The clue is in us. And we can know it. He can take us to deal with this later. But we need to figure out what, what is it in us. So what's up here? God, truth, um, let's put values, love, beauty, it's up above the line. Those things exist in the soul, the mind. It exists here and it's going to flow from God he's not there yet that, that's not chapter 4 but, but what he's trying to counter is this there's a material reality and it has overwhelmed and you can read science books you can take a science class and when you're done with that class just evaluate it it will be here because they don't touch this anymore Now there are certain schools that do but not everybody does so the majority of the stuff that's just out there go to YouTube, pull up something figure out, okay, how's that work they're going to land here which is just what Lewis was finding in the world in 1941 so you read too many of these that's all the stuff that starts coming out just saying might might be that's why there's chaos exactly It adds to it. We take, and the more we put him back in his rightful place, which is what Lewis is trying to do, and lead us to, it it changes how we deal with how we see ourselves, how we deal with the people around us, how we deal with the world. If we can do that across the board, we've got a whole new thing unfolding, a whole new way of living, a whole new way of seeing life. And we ought to. (laughs) We ought to do it. We pursue him. Uh, well this one was so, so cool this is just a st- statement it's not, a, it's not the big answer to anything it's just like he, how he said it we do not merely observe people we are people in this case we have so to speak inside information we are in the know it's not just observing all of the stuff out there the ought to it's in us <laughs> we are people we are in the know. We can know this. We don't have to go uh, check out the book at the library or it, it just, it's us. It's in us. And we, we know we ought to do certain things and we know that we ought not to have done other things. And then all that catches up with us and you go, why? Well, I was taught, oh, that's how I was raised. Some of this isn't how you were raised. And you don't start out as a little kid going, that ain't fair. How do you know that from the get-go? So, it's built in. Anyone studying people from the outside as we study electricity or cabbages, not knowing our language and consequently not able to get any inside knowledge from us, merely observing what we did, would never get the slightest evidence that we had this moral law. (laughs) They ought to. Because all they're watching is how we treat each other, how we live. And it's good. Obviously, you don't have much of a moral law the, the way you're acting. This, I think the law changed this last week in, in Oklahoma to if you don't move over for an emergency vehicle, it went from a fine of $250 to like $1,500. If you have a second one, it's $2,500 because we ought to give them space. But since we don't, <coughs> oh boy, it's going to get pricey. Um, continuing in four, chapter four, uh, I don't get to open all these all these things that the mailman delivers. I'm only allowed to open the one that's addressed to me or me. When I do, esp- this is page twenty-five. When I do, especially when I open that particular. Man, called myself, I find that I do not exist on my own, that I am under a law, that somebody or something wants me to behave in a certain way. There's a power behind the facts, a director, a guide. <laughs> cool. Ooh, cool. So he's getting closer. You see how he's moving from just the general stuff out there, and he starts moving this thing more and more. As I'm looking at myself, I'm seeing that there, there's something here above the line. In chapter 5, we have cause to be uneasy. Ah, Lewis, what are you saying? I ended my last chapter with the idea that in the moral law, somebody or something from beyond the material universe was actually getting at us. Yeah. I expect when I reached that point, some of you felt a certain annoyance. Yeah. You may have even thought... I had played a trick on you that I had been carefully wrapping up to look like philosophy, what turns out to be one more religious jaw. I really don't understand the jaw word here, but <laughs> maybe it's just... Anyway, he's trying to avoid looking too, too churchy in this thing. So... Yeah, Yeah. he's trying to avoid all the denominations and all the spin. Yeah, and he doesn't want people's minds to take off on that first thing. Yeah, and if you say, oh, you're Lutheran, or you're, and then, and you go, oh, gee, how are you going to reel them back in? So, yeah, he's he's trying to avoid it. He's done pretty good of uh, being able to piece that together. We've only got so far as a somebody or something behind the moral law. We're not taking anything from the Bible or the churches. We are trying to see what we can find out about this somebody on our own steam. And I want to make it quite clear that we, what we find out on our own steam is something that gives us a shock. We have two bits of evidence about the somebody. One is the universe he has made. If we use that as our only clue, then I think we should have to conclude that he, had, he was a great artist for the universe, is very beautiful, but also that he is quite merciless and no friend to man, to man, for the universe is a very dangerous and terrifying place. The other bit of evidence is that moral law, which he has put into our minds, yeah, okay, and this is a bit better than the other because it's inside information. You find out more about God from the moral law than from the universe in general, just as you find out one or more about a man by listening to his conversation than by looking at a house he's built. He just does so good on these things, his reasoning, his his uh, tying this thing together. He just says, "I want pe- I want to have people look at the facts, look at inside, see what drives us, why we do what we do, why we go the direction we go, And to understand uh, that we are not stuck in a material-only universe. We are in a material universe, not material-only. So he he hasn't done this yet. He's just saying there's somebody, there's something, there's something more than this. How does that strike you? This idea. (laughs) Does it help to... Ought, yeah I've seen that I've noticed that in me <laughs> notice the not me it's <laughs> <laughs> those other people <laughs> yeah the ought to the ought not well, the ought to has been playing in my brain since the summer I even mean, used it at other people the ought to and the ought not so it's interesting that that's the verbiage because it's true it's in a... that's where, it's where it starts, where it starts. <laughs> yeah and we can check it out because it's in us. You just carry it around with us. Yeah, we can argue about this and what we know, what we know about science. What uh, we can put some pieces together. We see the material world, but when it gets in here, and you go, "Ugh, oh, yeah," there's more to it. I could be better, and I ought to be better. So, yeah, it takes us in a, a different direction. That. Um, let me give you a chapter I think just yeah chapters one and two if you would for next time of the next book what Christians believe book two chapters one and two so he's going to get to it, by golly. Yes? Can I say something that um, goes back to another thing you said about the jaw? Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, the only reason I really understood that is that my grandfather, yes, my grandfather, Worthington, who you knew, oh, yeah. Randy, um, I don't know if you know, he's first generation American, was, and his father was English. And my grandfather, about that. Mm-hmm. Huh? And it meant talk about it. It's jawing. Yeah, yeah. We're, we were jawing in the back. Jawing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how he always said it. And I don't know. It might have been of that era that it was a kind of a. Thing. Would have been or that time English for him, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Religious jaw. Mm-hmm. So religious talk. Religious yeah. Religious conversation. Yeah. That makes sense. But it's also if you're jawing, it sometimes was, it's too much. It's Your jaw's much, just yes. going. And you're and, it's, oh. and it's inconsequential. Yes. Or, you know, it's just like a oh we were just drawing. Yeah. You know, it's just like, oh, it was just a, a lowly conversation of some sort, you know, or yeah. That would fit right, where you he's going that, right? too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See really what it is. Yeah. yeah. You're just throwing that religious yeah, stuff at me and on. About it. Yeah. Going on and on. Oh and on, yeah. On, yeah. yeah that's that's that that the sense. way I read it. That's that's in my mind too. I replaced it with yappy. Yeah. 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 Okay. Nope. Our country folk use John all the time. The yeah. well, that's funny. But anyway, talk at length or question. to chatter. Yes. <laughs> talk talk at length and to chatter. But I think them. of Jaws going on <clears throat> and on. So he just, Yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Just so you know, we're not, we're not going that direction. Well, in these next chapters, he will turn the page and we will be into some Christian. Looking at how Christianity works, and he's not doing a religious job by golly so that'll be good let's pray father thanks for this time thanks for allowing us to dig into these things and even though it's nearly 100 years uh, you know we can learn from lewis and the things that he had to face and these truths continue no matter what so guide us as we read and think and discuss and show us how we ought to live in jesus name amen